Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Bioptimizers, an incredibly longtime sponsor of this podcast because they have amazing products that you continue to buy because they work. I think every one of my clients is certainly on masszymes. I take that consistently every day. I like to take a lot. I like to take five in the morning on an empty stomach and then three to four with each of my high protein containing meals. This really help, helps me extract the protein from the meat and the ultimate protein sources that I'm consuming rather than just eating it and assuming that my body's going to utilize it. I want to make sure that my body can digest, absorb, and assimilate all these highly cost, uh, high cost proteins and high quality proteins that I'm consuming. It's not just about what you consume. It's about what your body can digest, absorb, and assimilate. So I highly suggest you head over to bioptimizers.com and use the code MUSCLE10 to get 10% off. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S, bioptimizers.com. Use the code MUSCLE10. They've also got an incredible suite of incredible products from P3OM to support digestion, KPEX to support people on a ketogenic diet. And you guys all know my incredible... Uh, how much of an incredible fan I am of their product, um, Magnesium Breakthrough, which is seven different magnesium chelates. Um, and they're also expanding their line consi- consistently every year with research and doing incredible products. You guys get hooked up with 10% off all of their products. Head over to buyoptimizers.com and use the code MUSCLE10. There's been a lot of research, you know, specifically in the last 10 years, around the concept of time-restricted feeding or extended fasts. And those are, those are different, right? Time-restricted feeding has become very, very common, very popular with certain segments of the fitness community. And then fasting typically is identified or labeled as anything longer than 48 hours. Anything less than 48 hours is usually considered time-restricted feeding Anything longer than 48 hours can be considered fasting. And those are very different benefits. And the reason that they consider fasting to happen as longer than 48 hours is because that's really when the benefits of fasting start to kick in, the autophagy, right? So if you guys want to understand what autophagy is, if we're constantly supplying the body with protein, then the body just takes what it needs from the bloodstream and continues to go about its processes. But after about 48 hours, if there isn't an additional supply of protein, the body actually starts going through this cellular cleanup process called autophagy, where it's like kind of call it mopping up proteins that are maybe misfolded or unfolded or, you know, call it cellular waste, right? It's starting to clean up this, these what we call senescent cells. They've shown over the last seven to 10 years that there's a tremendous amount of benefit to cleaning up these senescent cells. And this call it, they call it like cellular junk, cellular waste, in as much as it helps prevent cancer. It could help optimize cellular health. It could uh, help longevity. Could be doing a, uh, could help the production of hormones. It certainly helps with fat loss, also the insulin sensitivity. So the list of benefits of this cellular autophagy is extensive. So when people hear this, they're like, oh, well, let's, let's all, everyone should fast and everyone jumps into this. And that may or may not be correct, but I think we should just start asking really, really good questions as to whether or not everyone should fast. What's become commonplace in you know, many fitness circles, specifically people who want to live long, the biohacking space, people who want to ultimately optimize quality of life, is they've implemented a time-restricted feeding window, which I will say there's some really strong evidence as to why that's really great. So here's a study that, that puts it over the top. And I don't remember the nuance of the study, 
But there was a group that ate in a six-hour eating window and a group that ate in a 16-hour eating window. Same number of calories. So six-hour eating window, meaning like I ate between noon and 6 p.m., and a group that ate in a 16-hour eating window, which is basically like from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, and same number of calories. The group that ate in a six-hour eating window lost significantly more fat. Significant. Same number of calories. So there goes the conversation on macros being the, the most important thing. I mean, obviously, it isn't a very important thing, but there's obviously other factors at play. That right there starts to bring validity to this conversation around time-restricted eating. What they also noticed is typically people who did time-restricted eating didn't lose muscle. Now, that's subjective because it, it's certain populations and certain, only a small duration. So there could be some considerations there around losing muscle, but we can we could talk about that more if you guys have some questions specific to that. So when it comes to time-restricted feeding, what you're basically looking at is Let's say, for example, we wake up at 6 a.m. Maybe we don't eat until 9. Maybe we don't eat until 10 or 11 or 12. So, I mean, zero calories during that time. And we could give some nuance to that as well. And then once you start eating, whatever time that happens to be, the eating window exists from the time that you start to the time you stop. And ideally, when you're you know, outside of that time, there's no consumption of calories. And that is, has said to be beneficial from a perspective of improving insulin sensitivity, maybe giving some some benefits to autophagy, but in general, not. And I'll talk about that in a second. And certainly improving fat loss, improving inflammation. So when I say to, so maybe uh, improving autophagy, so this autophagy may be like this gold standard of slowing down aging or optimizing for the aging process. So the, the nuance is how well fed were you prior to this eating window? So if you're eating like, if you're overeating and then having a 16-hour fast, you won't get off autophagy because your, your, your body has an abundance of, of nutrients around. If you are you know, lean and you're doing lots of cardio and your body's like maybe not consuming excessive amounts of calories, then it's possible too that you could experience small amounts of autophagy. So that's, you know, in a nutshell, the time-restricted feeding window conversation. And then as we move on to talk about fasting, which is this idea that exists after, you know, some subjective time period, but they say 48 hours is when this autophagy really starts to kick in. So 48 hours of, and again, I'm going to put this in quotations, no calorie consumption, because I have to, I'm going to come back to that in a second, is when this, these cellular cleanup processes really start to turn on. And then there's seemingly many, many benefits to optimization of the brain, optimize, like cleansing of the brain cleansing of the organs, cleansing of the cells, optimization of inflammation, insulin sensitivity, fat loss. So a lot of things happening there. And one of the cool things about fasting is if you can imagine uh, fasting being a pretty significant stress to the system, the body actually really kicks up its protective mechanisms against burning through muscle. So there's been a lot of data that shows after about 24 hours of fasting, the body doesn't burn more muscle. So in the first 24 hours, it seems like there's quite a bit seems like the breakdown is higher. Um, but after 24 hours, the body kicks up growth hormone secretion, which causes muscle retention. So as though, although many, many people in the fitness space, bodybuilding space are very concerned with losing muscle, there's quite a bit of data showing that it, it doesn't lose muscle. However, always population specific. So they're not testing this on bodybuilders, right? They're not testing this on people who train a lot. They're testing this on average people who probably don't have a lot of muscle to begin with. And the way I think about it, if, I, if my, my fat to muscle ratio is obviously very high, the amount of muscle I have relative to the fat I have, your body's probably going to preferentially burn more muscle. 
because it has an abundance of it, right? So I would say, assume the more, this is again, my, my judgment is like, I have, if I have a lot of extra muscle, my body's probably more likely to burn through it because it's metabolically more active. So there's a lot, my, the metabolism is going to be a lot faster. Whereas someone who maybe doesn't have as much muscle, maybe they're not as likely to burn through as much muscle. Again, that's subjective. So the, the ideal time frame that suggested the ideal time frame for fasting, five days to maximize benefit. Longer than that is unnecessary. They say there's no additional benefits after five days. Typically, you've received kind of the maximum benefit of non-consumption of calories for five days. Now, obviously not eating and having water only for five days is a very long time and very challenging to do. So the suggestion is obviously you'd work up to that. Maybe you start with one day and then two and then three and then four and then five. Now there's this, there's this new, uh, not new, but maybe in the last seven years, this company that's one of the guys who's kind of the godfathers of, of fasting, his name is Walter Longo. He's been studying what he calls protein sparing modified fast. So in protein sparing, meaning it retains muscle, it retains protein, and it's a modified fast. So it's like fasting mimicking, which means you still get to eat some calories and your body still gets all the benefits of autophagy and fasting. So that's interesting, right? So you can technically eat for five days and uh, just eat less and still receive all the benefits of fasting if you avoid certain things. So there's primarily three things, two that I'll talk about because I'm familiar with the third one. It's kind of vague. Two things that you're trying to ultimately prevent to, that allow you to induce this fasting state. And that's the stimulation of what's called mTOR. Many of you have heard of mTOR. And the other one's called AMPK. So mTOR is effectively what happens when you consume protein. When you consume amino acids, your body flip, think of it like a, like a light switch. Your body flips on muscle protein synthesis. That's mTOR. That causes the buildup of muscle, the, the accumulation of muscle tissue. AMPK is similar in that it's more of a cellular energy uh, cellular energy gauge. So if your cellular energy starts to drop, AMPK tends to get flipped on. If your cellular energy goes up, it's uh, AMPK is, yeah. So AMPK is an indication of, of low cellular energy. And that's a good thing. We actually want those things, that thing to be on. So it's this indication of my body is actually going into a depleted state. So AMPK is a good thing. Um, so these are kind of the two signals that we're trying to elicit, basically, or avoid or elicit in the fasting state. So we do that by severe uh, or, or significant restriction of carbohydrate or anything that spikes blood glucose and the reduction or elimination of anything that spikes proteins. So who should fast and who shouldn't fast? It seems as though anyone under the age of 35. So if you think of like life cycle, right? When you're, when you're young, your body's growing and your body's good at growing. And the likelihood of you getting any weird diseases, unless you're a significant outlier, is less, right? You're not going to typically get cancer, heart disease, diabetes, uh, anything like that at a young age. So anabolism, cellular signaling toward anabolism is probably normal and healthy prior to the age of 30, right? Once you hit, start hitting 30 to 45, it seems to like flip. It seems to be like, well, now it's less important for you to continually grow because at that point, if you're continually growing, you probably got a problem. And at that point, it's more about like sustaining health, sustaining function, sustaining optimized body physiology. Then the necessity behind eating quite as much protein and calories, obviously, is not going to be the same as when you're a teenager. 
probably not even the same as in your early 20s, 25, you know? So at that point, you know, we start switching our requirements and we say, okay, well, my body doesn't need as much protein unless I'm creating huge amounts of damage or you know, unless I'm trying to build a huge amount of muscle. And again, that's obviously context specific. And it seems as though there's this dynamic relationship between building muscle and longevity. And some people say you need muscle is the organ of longevity, which I completely 100% agree with. I think muscle is the organ of longevity. You guys have heard me say, if if you look at a 70-year-old person, 80-year-old person, 90-year-old person, and they look like they're in good health, there's one thing that's common with every one of them. And it's that they move very, very well. If someone starts to lose the ability to move well, they lose vitality. I don't care how well they eat. If they don't move well, it doesn't matter. So when it comes to aging, it's very important to sustain muscle. However, it seems as though that between the ages of, say, 30 and 50, there isn't that much muscle loss. Like it's not rapid muscle loss, right? After the age of 60, however, muscle loss becomes rapid. Like you don't often see people in their 60s and 70s who are jacked unless they're training a lot. So between the age of 30 and 50, it seems to be like more of a maintenance phase when it comes to muscles. You don't have to, I mean, unless you're trying to add, but there doesn't seem like as much of a physiological requirement to put huge amounts of protein in unless you're creating that much damage. After 50, after 60, certainly, there's a massive increase for protein and, and seemingly less likelihood of contracting things like cancer after 60, 65. It seems as though prior to 25 to 30, ramp up the calories, ramp up the protein intake, grow as much as you can, build as much muscle as you can. 30 to say 50, like the goal should be, not if, you want, if you need to build muscle because you're thin, then add muscle. Uh, but it seems like the goal should be like, you know, kind of maintain what you got or don't let your body lose any muscle between 30 and 50. After 50, then it's probably trying to go back to this muscle building, my muscle building process and um, realize the likelihood at that point of calories having a negative implication are, are low. So what I didn't say is that it's been proven that always trying to grow definitely accelerates aging and death, which is interesting. So always trying to grow. Before, before 25 or 30, that's not going to accelerate aging and death, although it's supposed to, right? We're accelerating growth at that age. But between 30 and 50, there's this definitive process of like accelerated aging. And most people that start to get ill in life start to show it in their what, late 40s, early 50s? So there's got to be a consideration there around what are we doing to make sure our body isn't going to get cancer, isn't going to get heart disease, right? So that's the stuff we have to start looking out for. And it seems like fasting is a very good tool to support us in that process. Okay, so what, is it, what does all this mean and what should we do with it, right? So if I want to build muscle at, you know, over the age of 30 and, and ultimately avoid cancer and heart disease and you know, diabetes and all those other things that seem to be the, the common problems of aging, I think it comes down to finding the protein consumption rate that allows you to maintain protein or grow, like maintain muscle mass or, or grow a little bit, and, all, and including fasting on a consistent basis that allow, like ultimately as often as you can without losing muscle. So we, we know that five days every quarter, so every three months, has enough benefits to present, prevent, to, you know, there's, there's a lot, and again, this, is, this isn't the quote, but there's a lot of 
seeming evidence that fasting can re reduce the incidence of cancer. It can reduce the insulin incidence of inflammatory diseases like heart disease and inflammation, or sorry, and uh, diabetes. Maybe just that at minimum five days every every quarter, right? It could be one day a week. It could be two days a week. You have to then decide what is the balance for me that allows me to grow or maintain muscle at the rate that I'm looking to and still get this fasting in, right? So I'm like, I'd like to fast as much as I can and still look the way I want. That seems like the ideal circumstance. What I, what I find when I fast is I find that the day that I come back, the number of nutrients I need to look and feel like nourished is less. It's almost like my body becomes more effective at using those nutrients. So almost like half the protein, I'm like, man, I feel like I'm hard and I'm muscular again, like I'm full. Whereas it's just like almost insulin sensitivity or nutrient sensitivity has upregulated. Whereas if I'm overeating, my, my nutrient sensitivity feels bad. I feel like you know, I just don't feel like the same level of like volumization of cells. What I find to be the key to fasting is excessive consumption of, of fluids, like not excessive, but like I'm consuming a lot of fluids and I'm consuming a lot of sodium. Like I'm adding lots of, salt, lots of salt, lots of water to everything I consume. So that makes it so easy, right? Because you'd like, you just never feel hungry. You always feel you know, just, just great, satiated. Your brain works well. Great question on training. Um, so obviously, if you're undernourishing and under-recovering, it's not a wise idea to create huge amounts of stress and muscle damage. So traffic training definitely changes. And so if you want to continue to train with weights, that's a good idea. My suggestion is train to soreness threshold. Most of us have a pretty decent idea, I mean, I hope, of like, once I start doing these things, like this amount of volume in the gym, I get sore. If I stay less than this amount of intensity and volume in the gym, I'm probably not going to get sore. Right. So if you know where that kind of soreness threshold is in your workouts, stay right around there. Don't cross the, the soreness threshold. So maybe it's a six out of 10 perceived effort, right? Maybe it's a six out of 10 total volume compared to what you would normally do. And maybe longer duration things like, like uh, steady state cardio type stuff, not certainly high intensity cardio stuff. And I can explain physiologically why if anybody wants to know. But in general, just I think I would say just kind of assume and accept it. I also said I wanted to mention who fasting, who, sh who shouldn't be fasting. So one thing that I've seen happen a fair amount is people switch to one meal a day, which is very common. And what happens is they are, you know, they're trying to eat 2,000 calories in two hours. And they're trying to eat, really overeat calories in a small amount of time. It's a very bad idea. From, from a gut health and a, and a physiological health perspective, eating that excessive number of calories in one meal is very, very, very unhealthy. So you see all these guys doing these epic cheat meals. It's really bad for your heart. It's really bad for your microbiome. It's really bad for your gut, really bad for your liver. Like go down the list. So I would avoid anything more than. I don't know, like, so if, I, I think like a third, maybe a half of your basal metabolic rate per meal, right? So basal metabolic rate is effectively like a, a function of your, of the amount of muscle and your age and your activity level. It's basically how much, how much, so it's not activity level, but it's how much, how many calories you burn in a coma. So if you're not doing anything, this is how many calories you burn based on your age and your, your muscle mass. So you don't want to consume that entire number of calories in one meal in general.
Thanks for listening to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. For full episode guides with important takeaways and bonus resources, head over to muscleintelligence.com slash learn. If you enjoy the show and find value in the content, please subscribe, share this podcast with at least one person you know and love who would benefit from this content, leave us a review and support our sponsors. You can see the full list of show sponsors, discounts, and get exclusive Muscle Intelligence deals at muscleintelligence.com slash resources. To join our private community and get VIP access to my master classes, upcoming muscle camps, and other resources that we don't post anywhere else, head to muscleintelligence.com slash community. Most of all, thank you very much for your trust, for your time, and most importantly, for supporting health and fitness in this world. Enjoy your day, and I look forward to seeing you here next week. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.